Okay, I'm going to jump right in. I've got so much to say this morning. And um, I, uh, first I want to catch us up, if you're new here, uh, where we've been. Um, we have been in a series um, through uh, whole, called Wholehearted, and we're specifically looking at the church. What's it mean to be invested in the church? And I am echoing a ton. And now, that's better. Okay. Thank you. That's perfect. Um, and so we've been talking about the church, what it means to be invested in the church, specifically four areas of um, being engaged on a Sunday, being engaged in a house group, um, serving and giving. And so today um, we're summing up, kind of closing out that mini-series as we go to the next part of Wholehearted. Um, but here's why this matters. Here's why it matters, because I just want to acknowledge it's very biased for a pastor to tell you that you should care about the church. And so I want to acknowledge that. And here's why we care about the church. Here's why uh, I'm imploring us to say, no, it's worth investing in the church, is because we simply want to invest in the things that Jesus invests in. We care about the things that Jesus cares about, and Jesus cares deeply for the church. And so we love the church because Jesus loves the church. It's not um, for my ego or for your community. Maybe some of these things are secondary, but it's primarily we just want to be like Jesus. We want to do the things he did, and we want to love the things that he loves. And so um, we are talking about what's it mean to actually be invested in the church. So speaking of other things that you're probably thinking a pastor is biased on, we're summing up this series today on giving. And here's what's hilarious, guys. I have met more new people this morning than I have met on any Sunday in the past six months. Hilarious. And it's Giving Sunday, guys. We're talking all about giving. So, and that is, that is usually how it works. So if uh, you were invited by a friend, I promise, they didn't know, okay? They didn't know. Uh, come back next week. Different guy, different topic. It's going to be awesome. Uh, this morning is all about giving, and I was studying, so I knew it was going to be about generosity and giving, but I was studying on Monday, and this is kind of my sermon rhythm. Do a bunch of studying, and then Tuesday morning, I say, okay, Lord, what does City Church need to hear? Because I've got all kinds of information, but what does City Church need to hear this week? And I've got a couple stock messages I could go to on generosity. Be generous with your time and your money and your time, and it hedges the bet a little bit. And here's what I felt like the Lord said, and I'll ask the ushers to go ahead and lock the doors right now. Um, <laughs> I felt like the Lord said, I want you to teach on the tithe. I want you to teach on the tithe. And um, so we're going to spend the rest of service today just passing the plate until I feel like it's good. <laughs> okay, nervous jokes out of the way. Here's a real vulnerable moment. I'm nervous to preach on this. And I'm not, here's why I'm doing it, is because I'm very convinced of what scripture says. Here's why I'm nervous, though, is because I know people in my position or with this title have at times abused or condemned or brought shame on this topic. And so, if I'm honest, I'm very nervous because I want you to hear what God's saying and not what maybe you've heard before or even anything that I would say that I didn't intend. Um, and so I just want to say, look, God is very clear about how we use money, and, and I know that people in my position have just done this wrong, and we get to inherit some of that. And so let's start clean slate. I just want you to be open to what God might be saying, and we're going to look at a lot of scripture, some of my experience, and then if you want to dive deeper into this, um, the best book I've heard of, best person I've uh, heard dive into this is Pastor Robert Morris in Dallas, and he wrote a book called The Blessed Life. If you want to dig deeper into this topic, that's great. But here is the sermon in a sentence. Here's what I'll say this morning if I'm going to teach on the tithe. God can do more with 90 than you can with 100. 
It's God math, okay? It doesn't make sense. God can do more with 90 than you can with 100. So we're going to wade through the Old Testament and the New Testament all the way. What does God say about tithing? Um, this is going to be one of those Sundays where relevance is coming. Here's the problem, though. Relevance usually is like, oh, my gosh, Jesus is in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Today, relevance in about 17 minutes of deep scripture work is going to be like, oh, God really cares about my tithe. So I want to temper your expectations. Relevance is coming, but relevance is like, oh, man, God, like, has a lot to say about money that maybe I didn't know. So almost everything I know about the tithe, we're going to go one through eight, and there's even some sub points in there. We're going to move quick, but I think it's going to be a wide swath of what scripture says specifically about the tithe number one tithe means tenth tithe means tenth so if you say you tithed fifty dollars unless you make five hundred dollars it's not a tithe tithe literally means one tenth of everything it's in hebrew it's mahaseyed it kind of sounds like a southern accent like mahaseyed and it's a one tenth that means ten percent of everything that comes in so tithe means tenth god can do more with 90 than you can with 100 number two Tithe, the tithe, as described in scripture, is um, on its first, and it's on your whole income. So it's first, and it's on your whole income. If I had more time, I would uh, go into Genesis 4, the first story, Cain and Abel. It's the first time we see God care about what comes first. I'd never seen this before until a few months ago. If you really care, ask me about it after service. We don't have time. Um, But there is another very clear passage that it talks about this. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now in Genesis 4, it's introduced, but this is just continuing on a a doctrine of preeminence. It's called the doctrine of preeminence. So there are a few things, and this is going to sound crazy. There are a few things that God cannot do. God cannot change. God cannot lie. God cannot be second. He absolutely cannot be second. The doctrine of preeminence says, no, no, God comes first. And so God, it's not just a money thing. God cannot be second with your time. He cannot be second with your priorities. He cannot be second with your politics. God comes first. God is first. It's the doctrine of preeminence. And Proverbs 3 says, I want you to honor me with your wealth, with your first fruits. So your tithe comes first. And most scholars agree, and this is hard, that probably means it's before your tax comes out. I know you don't see the tax come out, but if you're a contractor, you know how this works. You pay taxes at the end, your first fruits, and it's on your whole income. But God would say that it's a lot easier to trust him with your last 10% than it is your first 10%. The tithe comes first because God cannot come second to anything. Number three, there are three types of giving specifically in the old covenant. It's tithe, it's offering, and it's extravagant offering. So extravagant offering, these are the three that we see in scripture. Extravagant offering is like we're building the temple and we're going above and beyond. But the very basic one is actually 10%. And then God says, hey, this is like mandatory, but if you want to go above and beyond that, you can make an offering, you can give an offering, but you bring your tithe. So there are three types of giving, tithe, offering, extravagant offering. What's so interesting, and I think it was Barna that did a statistic on this, they said that um, less than 7% of Christians, not, not people, less than 7% of Christians will ever tithe 10% of their pre-tax income. Less than 7%. Number four, tithing is both natural and it's a supernatural experience. Hebrews 7, sort of um, really, I mean, interesting uh, chapter of the Bible, but Hebrews 7, 8 says, look, the tithe is received by natural people, people that die, pastors, 
uh, nonprofit leaders, those kinds of people. I mean, just normal people. It's received and stewarded by them. And then it says, and it's received by the one who is always living. Basically, Jesus. The tithe, there's something supernatural about the tithe. So it is stewarded, of course. It's a natural thing. You give money. And it's a supernatural thing where God says, no, there's something else going on here that you can't quite see. It is received by the one that is living. Um, I've shared this before, but uh, this is, I think, important to understand um, a little bit about me and my journey with money. Um, I, uh, anybody else the oldest child? Okay, so you guys get it. You had the burden of parenting your siblings. I know, I know. Our parents didn't ask us to do it, but they, we knew. We knew they needed help. I, uh, I, had, to, I had to raise my, my younger brother, not because he needed it, but because I thought he needed it. And, um, and this is, this is a, a, like, a little peek behind the curtain. This is who I am naturally without Jesus when it comes to money. Growing up, we, we were middle class, maybe even upper middle class. Like the lights were not about to be shut off in our family, but I acted like they were. We would go to a restaurant, which one tells you like we had money at least to go out to eat, but you need food. And at the end of every meal, if you remember, there used to be gumball machines in most restaurants. My brother would ask for a quarter, and he just wanted to watch the gumball spin around and then chew on bubble gum for like two hours. And I'd get so mad at my parents for giving him a quarter. I'm like, you should have saved that. He doesn't need bubble gum. We should have saved that. You could retire earlier, Dad. True story. Later on, I, uh, again, the burden of parenting fell heavy on me. Um, I would get mad at my younger brother for leaving the lights and the TV on. It's terrible. And finally, he wasn't listening to me. He didn't respect my authority. So finally, I had to up the ticket. And I went to my dad and I said, you've got you to get your son in line. He's wasting money. And he says, okay, I'll, I'll talk to him. But like, you know, this is probably costing us 15 cents, right? Yes. <laughs> what could we do with that? This is who I am. Last thing, uh, this is a real window. Uh, when I was about eight years old, my brother was five, I, uh, we were at my grandparents' house. I've told this story before, but I bought a Matchbox car off of him for a dollar. And um, that's a face you can trust, right? <laughs> I used my best used car salesman tricks, and I, uh, I sold that same car back to my brother later that day for a dollar ninety-nine. This is who I am, guys. This is who I am. I, and I told him, I, I, and I basically lied to him. I said, look, anything within a dollar is basically the same. I bought a car for a dollar, sold it back to him for $1.99. And I would have gotten away with it, except the government stepped in in the form of my grandmother and said, that's not fair. That's not fair. We still don't talk to this day, so. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's amazing. I've forgiven her. <laughs> I tell these stories so that you get a window into who I actually naturally am without Jesus when it comes to money. And for now nine or ten years straight, I've been practicing something called tithing. It has literally changed my heart. It has changed my life. That is who I am naturally. And I, I honestly, at this point, I don't know if I'm greedy or generous anymore because it's just something so ingrained in my life that it has actually started to, I, I believe, change who I am. Tithing has changed my life. And so here's what I'll say to you. Remember these stories. If I can tithe, you can tithe. Seriously. And I'm competitive too, but I'll say this. I'm the greediest person naturally in this room. No doubt. I am so, and by, by nature, and I could fill the rest of this sermon with stories of me being ridiculous about money growing up. Naturally, I am greedier than anyone else in this room. So if I can tithe, you can tithe. 
If I can get over, if I can have the spirit of God break off the spirit of greed in my life, I promise it can happen to you too. He can remove any barrier between you and this practice because he has removed it for me. God can do more with 90 than you can with 100. Number five, the tithe actually started before the law. So most of us assume that it's part of the law. The tithe actually came before the law. In Genesis 14, there's five kings that battle four kings, all of them hard to pronounce. And the four kings actually win. And in the midst of that battle, those four kings took captive a guy named Lot, which was Abram's nephew. And Abram, being the protective uncle that he is, he sends his men in and they capture back Lot and they get a bunch of, um, I mean, they take everything from them because they won the battle. Abram becomes a very rich man at that point. He, he exacted justice into um, those four kings. And it says, verse 17, Genesis 14, after Abram returned from defeating Kendrick Lamar and the kings allied with him. I like you. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, I know we all know this. This is review. But the Old Covenant was written in about 1450 B.C., right? Genesis 14 takes place in about 1970 B.C. 500 years before the law was written, a tithe was happening. So for those of us that are like, I can eat bacon and I don't have to tithe, praise Jesus for the new covenant. Totally makes sense, bacon away in in my opinion, but actually the tithe is outside of the law. It came before the law. The tithe is also a part of the law. So Leviticus 27 is one of probably 30 verses we could read, but it says, um, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It says the tithe is holy. And there's something, again, that's set apart from it. It actually belongs to God. It's not yours. It says that he has, like, ownership over that first 10%. So the tithe was before the law. The tithe was also a part of the law. But then the big question, what did Jesus say about the tithe? Until about three years ago, I was like, nothing. So I tithe because I'm generous. I don't tithe because Jesus actually needs me to or wants me to or said anything about it. And then I was introduced to Matthew 23. Jesus says, woe to me, woe to to me, well, that's true. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. So you've been tithing even on your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then Jesus says, you should be practicing these later ones. And you should not neglect the former. I've never, never seen that before. Jesus actually affirms the tithe. And he says, look, there are other things that you're not doing right. And I love, I love that you're tithing on even like the interest of your savings account is what I think you could equate the spices to. He says, don't neglect though faithfulness and mercy and justice. And 50 or 51 weeks out of the year, I want to talk about mercy and faithfulness and justice. And I want to be mindful that Jesus says, but hey, don't neglect the other thing either. Don't neglect the former. Jesus actually affirms the tithe. He says this in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little or whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. This is God math. Now, at this point, especially if you've been around church, I want to stop and I want to explain the difference between, you're probably wondering, this sounds a little bit prosperity. There's something called the prosperity gospel. It's awful. 
Um, it's been around for a while, but specifically televangelists or maybe certain denominations go a little bit more into this. And here's the problem with the prosperity gospel is it's really close to true with a bit of a heart twist. So the prosperity gospel, if this sounds a little bit like that, or first of all, it's Jesus that said it. But second of all, the prosperity gospel says this, you give to get. If you give, maybe seen, if you give money here, I promise you God's going to give you 50% more. That's not a promise that anyone can make. So the prosperity gospel says you should give so that you can get. Very close to true, but it has a bit of a heart issue that says, oh, I want to weed greed and selfishness into my life. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus wants through the tithe. The gospel says this, though, that we should give because he's worthy. That's it. We don't give because we get anything. The, the prosperity gospel says you should give so that you can get. The gospel says you should give because he's worthy. Because he is absolutely worthy of everything. Full stop, period, end of statement. And then Jesus does seem to say some things about, hey, if I can trust you with that, I'll trust you with more. But that's not why we give. And we don't twist because Jesus instituted, God instituted the tithe to weed out greed and um, selfishness from your life. And the prosperity gospel actually tries to bring it back in. Two very completely different things. Finally, number eight, probably the most famous passage on tithing. It's Malachi 3. Tithe is a test. Tithe is a test, and it's his anyway. So Malachi 3 says this, I, the Lord, do not change. It's important. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are you robbing me? Then God says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. We'll talk about what that means in a second. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. God says some pretty intense language there around the tithe. Now, none of us, I'm just going to assume, we won't raise hands, none of us would dine and dash, none of us would try to pry open the black box in the back to steal money out of there. But God says, no, no, this is still robbing. If you're withholding that first 10%, it was never yours. It was never yours. This is some, I mean, it's almost like something God said, hey, would you hold this for me? And he says, you are robbing me. What's so interesting about when God talks about the tithe versus the offering is every time he talks about the tithe, he never says, give your tithe. He says, bring. Because you cannot give something that is not yours. He says, bring the tithe. You can give your offering. I've let you steward 90, but you bring your tithe back to me. And he says, if you do this, I'll give you one chance to test me. Not in that area, not in this area, but if you do this, you can test me. Test me. Test how generous I am. If you're, you are generous with me, I want you to actually test me to see how generous I will be back to you. It's the only time in scripture that we see God say, hey, go ahead, test me in this. I'm God Almighty, I can do whatever I want, but, but I will allow myself to be tested here. It's the only time that he says that. And he, it says in Malachi, and all throughout scripture, this is actually just mine. I'm letting you steward it for a second, but it's never had ownership anywhere else but me. Um, there are all kinds of rituals that you can do around this. I've heard a few of them, and it's actually inspired me to do this. I know Ben Strom in our church, he'll log on you because he loves to tithe as soon as he gets paid. And he said, every time I log on to the church's website, he reads Malachi 3 before he gives. 
It's so cool because it actually is a spiritual discipline. For Catherine and I, we might be more forgetful. So we have it on, on auto pay. But I, have one, I do have one ritual at the end of every year. I'll tell you guys about it in a second. But there are, there are practices that we can do around this, just the same way you might start a Sabbath. Maybe you can celebrate what it looks like to tithe. There are habits that we can have. Now, I want to tell you a few God stories uh, around this. This is so cool. I love these kinds of stories. Um, a few months ago, I was helping Robin in our church, and she gave me permission to share this. I was helping her make a budget. She had moved here, and I don't think she'd had a budget since, since she moved here. And if I was going to be anything other than a pastor, I would be something in the personal finance realm. It was my major. It's what I love, and I love budgets. I know. I totally understand that's weird. And, uh, and so she asked me to help her make a budget, and I tried to contain my excitement. I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I can do that. <laughs> and uh, so we're making a budget, and, uh, and it was pretty tight. We're making it, and I gave her my template, the one Catherine and I use, and the first line is tithe, and then everything else. And we started at line two, and we filled it all in, and we put in her income and everything. And, um, and I was doing the math as we went, and I was like, this isn't going to go super well. Um, but at the end, she said, okay how much am I supposed to tithe? And I was like, well, it's not really a question. Tithe means 10%. If you're asking how much you're supposed to give, you could pray about it, but tithe is actually 10. And she's like, okay, I'll I'll pray about it. So she prays, and I start adding up the numbers, and I'm like, you can't tithe. And um, at the end of it, she's like, I think I'm supposed to tithe. And I was like, oh, good. It's great. Uh, This isn't going to work. And I said, do you think you're supposed to tithe pre-tax or post-tax? And she's like, well, isn't a tithe pre-tax? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You're the pastor. I'm just here. And because uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how this is. And so she, I watch her as she's super excited and she puts it in and she realizes, oh, I've got like 3% of my income left over. And, uh, and we had cut everything. And I was like, okay, well, um, and I hate that I said this. I was like, we, maybe you could just give less. And she's like, but God said I was supposed to tithe. Seriously. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> And uh, so I said, well, your other option is you can, we can just leave and we can just see what happens uh, operating with basically a negative margin, which is terrible financial advice. But I was like, I see no other option. And she was super disappointed. And I remember two, like two days later, I was um, at the gym and I was working out. And as you do when you're working out, I was thinking about tax brackets. And <laughs> true story. And I realized I had forgotten something about the tax code. And I was like, I think this could help her. Finished working out, pulled up the spreadsheet, sat down with her, and we typed it out, zero. Her budget ended with a zero. Everything that she had committed that was above above and beyond her budget that she could not afford because she was tithing, when I figured out, like, oh, I forgot something about the tax code, we put it in there, and it was zero. She lost her mind. And so did I. Now, you would say, Chris, that's not God math. That's poor math by you. Point taken. The reason I'm a pastor, not an accountant anymore. And I would actually argue that's God math. She stepped out and she gave 10%, her first 10%, before she knew that she could make that work. And it was always there. The tax code didn't change. But for her, she stepped out in faith and said, I don't know where 7% is coming from. That's God math. God does things like that all the time. Two weeks later, I went into the gym and I saw that she was teaching a seminar and I was like, oh, that's cool. And um, she told me, she's like, hey, if people sign up for this, I'm going to, like, make decent money. Because her budget, again, zero margin. The next month, it sold out. Her seminar sold out. 
and she made twice as much money that next month than she ever makes. God math. You will not convince me that that is a coincidence. God can do more with 90 than you can with 100. Malachi 3 says this is a test. It is a test. We can test God with it. Now, I'm going to get into some application, some more stories, but I want to stop right now because I feel like it's possible that most of us are like, no, get to more. And some of us are like, this is the worst sermon I've ever heard. This guy is, I mean, and you've never even heard the word hermeneutic before, but you're like, this guy's hermeneutics are terrible. His interpretation of the scripture is terrible. And I have been wrong before. So maybe you're right. Also, if you're feeling those voices, I just want you to stop and ask why. Is it that I'm such a terrible Bible teacher? Maybe it is. Or is it that there's something else supernaturally going on? I want you to stop. If there's anything in your spirit that's like, this is awful. If I wasn't sitting so close to the front, I'd leave. I want you to ask the Lord. Lord, is there anything that you need to tell me right now? few questions, practical questions. Where do I tithe? What do I look for? What's my next step? Where do I tithe is actually kind of a confusing answer, but I want to give it to you. Um, Most scholars would say when he says the temple or the storehouse, he means the local church. And um, I can see that interpretation. It's very convenient for me to believe. I do not know, though. I can see, I I think I have a wider view of what, I think it's supposed to go to the church. But I have a wider view of what the church is. I think the church is anything that Lauren Cunningham would say does the two-handed gospel, brings um, biblical justice and proclamation of Jesus' resurrection. So that's more than just the local church. Personally, Catherine and I tithe 10% pre-tax of our income to the local church, and we give offerings above and beyond. But I can't affirmatively say, no, it's got to go to the local church. All of our partners, some of the things even Michelle was just talking about, they, in my opinion, are the church. Block is the church. Block's doing incredible, okay, incredible justice work in Price Hill, but they're doing it with Jesus on their lips. IFI, that's bringing the gospel to international students, are doing both of those things. World Vision, back-to-back, um, where we're going in Mexico or in Nepal. That, that feels like, it's a, called a parachurch ministry, but that feels like what the church is. So I don't know what you need to do, um, but we have chosen to tithe to the local church, but I can't affirmatively say when it says storehouse or temple, as convenient as it would be, I can't affirmatively say, no, it's got to be the local church. I do believe a portion should go to your local church if you call a place home, but I can't say that that has to be true. Number two, what do I look for? Number one, in leadership, checks and balances, humility, transparency. You should be looking for those three things. And as you're looking for those three things, you might say, well, none of them would operate like me. You have to balance trustworthiness in the organization with potentially the uh, desire to control. And I'll tell you this, and I recognize it's harder to be there than here. It is harder. It's been harder for me. I've tithed at three churches that I don't lead. It's harder to tithe to a church that I don't help influence the budget. So I know that's most of the people in this room. It is tough. It is tough to do that. It's still hard to tithe to this church. And I know how the money's spent. And because of that, I'm just going to say, I'm an open book. If you want to know how much money we spend on anything, how much I get paid, if that would really help you, um, I want to, like, enable that for you because I'm very confident with how we manage our money. You should be looking for checks and balances, humility, and transparency. The way we manage our money, we have a board that sets my pay. 
Uh, we have a staff-led budgeting process that we did this week, four-hour meeting, and all of our staff are still here, praise God. <laughs> For now, okay. <laughs> Don't lie, that was a fun meeting. Um, we have a healthy reserve. We budgeted 40, I think I told you guys this, we budgeted $40,000 to replace the roof. It was 115000 and we didn't have to come back and ask you for money because we've tried to build in pretty good margins into our church. Um, our board helps make our budget. We give away 12%. It used to be 10, now it's 12% of everything that comes in here goes back out to local missions, uh, missionaries, international missionaries, or church planting. Um, I want you to just know that because I want you to know your church is leading the way. Your church is leading the way in generosity. Your church tithes. I ask our staff to tithe and your pastor tithes. And so we're not asking anything that, but one, Jesus isn't asking us to do, and two, that we're not willing to do ourselves. God can do more with 90 than you can do with 100. And tithing doesn't just communicate that you trust God, but it communicates that you're invested in what he's invested in. Jesus is invested in the church. I want to be invested in the things that Jesus is invested in. Number three, the real application, what do I do? What's my next step? And uh, if you're not someone that's done this before, isn't currently do this, doing this, I would say, I want you to try tithing for three months. And pray about where, but I want you to try the tithe for three months. And if you do tithe, I know the simple answer is, well, you should just give more. Actually, you're doing exactly what God has already said you need to do. I want you to go home this afternoon, because this is what I'm going to do. And I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything else? Is there an offering I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to raise it to 11 or 12 or 13%? But if you're not tithing to, to, king, to the church, as, as at least I would define the church, um, I, want you to, I, want, I want to challenge you for that. And this is normally where I'd make a joke and say, and if it doesn't work out for you, email Pastor Rob, email Caitlin, email Michelle. No, if it doesn't work out in three months, email me. We'll figure something out. Because I am so confident that God will bless you because I've seen it over and over again. A few stories from our life, um, and I can only tell these stories because I need you to know, remember, who I am naturally with money. Nine years ago this month, um, I'd been married for four months. Uh, Catherine and I were in San Diego. She had a conference that she had for work. I was in corporate finance, but I was able to work remotely, and I remember exactly where I was. I was in our hotel. She was gone. I was laying on the bed, and I was watching sermons, which I now realize I probably should have been working. Um, but I was watching a sermon in an interview between Nikki Gumbel and uh, Rick Warren, both of them pastors. Probably heard of them. Um, Rick Warren, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, uh, church and life, all of them. He's got a lot of purpose. And, um, and I didn't know this about him. This was nine years ago. But he is asked the question about his generosity, and he said, no, I want you to tell them what you do. And so uh, Rick Warren goes on to say, well, yeah, we started by just doing the basic thing when we got married 35 years ago. And we started tithing, 10%. And he said, every year, we said, we're going to be more generous. And he said, went to 11 and then 12. And by this time, this was nine years ago, he said, we now give away 91% of our income. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, uh, and then he said, but do you know why? He said, most people say, um, you know, why do you think that you got to write the book? The book, like, um, it was the best-selling book, I think, of all time, other than the Bible. Millions, tens of millions of dollars. He said, do you know why I think God let me write the book? Because for 25 years, he saw a track record of what I would do in poverty. And he knew he could trust me with riches beyond my wildest imagination. And he said, that's why I believe God let me write the book. And he said, he said I've been playing this game with God 
if you want to see the video, I can send it to you. Um, he said, I've been playing this game with God for 35 years. He said, I shovel radically generous amounts of money to God. And he said, God shovels it right back to me, and God has a bigger shovel. Now, this is, this is just my story at this point. I shut the computer, and I felt like the Lord said, that's for you, if you want it. He said, if you're radically generous to me, I will be radically generous to you. You will never hurt for money again. Again, I felt like the Lord said that to me. And um, later that way, I mean, my, I was shook, as the kids say. Uh, so we're in San Diego. My friend had planted a church there. Two days later, we went to his church. Now, we were already practicing the basic tithe. And we had already said, hey, for the end of the year, we should, um, we should give more to our church. And uh, we went to our, my friend's church, and he was preaching on something that they were raising money for. And I just felt like, oh, this is my first opportunity. And it takes a lot of faith to, to give more when you feel like God says it. It takes even more faith to say, to have your husband say, hey, we're going to give more than, than we think is comfortable. So props to Catherine. And we left church, and I was like, I think we're supposed to give even more than we were going to give to that. And uh, we're 22 years old, you know, a few months into our um, marriage. And we felt like above and beyond what we were supposed to give, we were supposed to give $1,000 to that church. And it hurt. It hurt. And, uh, and I'll never forget, like two weeks later, um, at that time I had invested in an oil well with my grandpa. Don't judge me. We've sold it. I drive an electric car. Um, <laughs> But my grandpa and I had invested in an oil well, and I forgot that we hadn't taken any disbursements. Two weeks later, I got a check from him, from uh, what we've sold, for $1,050. And it was the first time, I have lots of stories, that I felt like the, like the Lord looked at me and said, gotcha. Uh, I could go on for the next eight years, but I'll tell you my, a couple of my favorites. This is, remember who I am with the Matchbox car. This is not, this is to bring glory to God, because it is crazy what he does. Every year, um, one of my rituals with tithing is at the end of the year, when we're getting stuff together for our taxes, I look at how much money we gave, and then I think about what kind of car I could buy. It's a weird thing. So I'm like, oh, man, I could have bought that, or oh, I could have gotten rid of my Civic and gotten that. And, uh, and then I'm like, okay, but it's better to have a Civic and be blessed by God than it is to drive whatever that is. Until 2020. And again, God has, um, when we started making our budget after I saw that video, we set it at 25% that we're going to give away, and uh, we have never gone below that. We keep trying to increase it. And so we were giving a decent percentage of our money away in 2020, and God had really blessed us with side jobs and investments and different things, and Catherine got a raise, and we had given away way more money than we'd ever given before. And at the end of 2020, I get my stuff together for my taxes, and I look at it. And about 10 years before, I'd fallen in love with a car brand named Tesla, and, uh, and I looked at how much money we gave away, and I was like, oh, I don't really care about cars, but this is enough money to buy the baseline of a Tesla Model 3, my dream car. It was insane. And I sat a little longer that year <laughs> with that. I was like, okay, uh, I think, yeah, I'd rather have a Civic. I'd rather have a Civic. I'd rather have a Civic. <laughs> you would. Blessed by God. Blessed by God. Blessed by God. And... Uh, and I, then I got, uh, maybe an hour later, I got to the point where, no, if this is worth it. Um, years later, I'm sorry, weeks later, I get a call from my friend, Trey. I convinced him uh, in Las Vegas when we lived there to buy a Tesla because I was obsessed and somebody needed to buy one. So he bought a Tesla Model 3, but he went like 
extended battery, chrome delete, all these other things. And so he was like, if this was the base, he was up here. And, um, and he called me, and he said, bro, I love Tesla so much. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he said, this car is amazing. I'm like, yeah, I know. He said, I love it so much, I'm going to buy the new expensive SUV. And I was like, ah, cool. And he said, do you want to buy mine? And I was like, ah, oh, there's no way. And because uh, we couldn't afford this, but we can't afford this. And he said, well, here's what I need from it. And it was here. I can't make this stuff up. He said, uh, yeah, I, I, this is all I need to make sure I can buy the next car. And it was less, his nicer car was less than what they were selling the base car for that I had just been mourning weeks before. Now, this is, again, vulnerable moment. Um, but I got to buy my dream car. But that's God math. Only after we had chosen to not reorient money, but go there. Last story, probably my favorite one of all. Weeks, a, f- a few months later, uh, Catherine and I had exhausted all of our options for um, fertility. And we had gone through fr- infertility for five years. And finally, we landed from the Lord, okay, I think we're supposed to do in vitro, IVF. And so, um, I don't know if you know anything about IVF, but it's like not cheap. <laughs> and, um, and it was in that moment that I'm like, I wonder, and I never took this to Catherine, she wouldn't have let me anyway. I said, I wonder if we could maybe reorient some of our giving, because God wants to invest in our future family, and we'll disciple them, and that's the church, right? I mean, again, I'm best at convincing anybody if it's myself. And so I'm going down that line, and, um, and I, I didn't take it to Catherine, she wouldn't have let me anyway. But um, I remember we showed up to the appointment, and they said, hey, this is great timing. We've cut this by 40%. Now, that didn't save us hundreds of dollars. That saved us thousands of dollars. And so we went through the procedure. Um, I have a picture, actually, of me paying for IVF. This is me. I can't wait to tell Esther I um, paid for her. It's the last slide. It's the last slide. It's the last slide. There is no slide. I have it on my phone. Um, there's a picture of my credit card in the reader, and I'm like taking it kind of secretly, and the nurse said, I've never had anybody do this before. I'm like, I want to show my daughter what she means to me. I didn't say daughter because I didn't know what, what she would be. And uh, at the end of that, um, it still was a lot of money. And, uh, and so we had paid for it. We didn't reorient any of our giving. And a few weeks later, without them talking to each other, both my parents and Catherine's parents said, hey, we want to invest in our future grandchild. And so they gave us sizable checks, sizable checks. They didn't talk to each other, but they made all of a sudden in vitro this expensive procedure very, very palatable for us. Now, you call that generosity. Maybe they would have done it no matter what, but I call that God math. God honors when we give to him first, and then he takes care of the rest. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So it's all his. It is all his. We are just stewarding what we have. Now, we don't give to get a baby, we don't give to get a car, we don't give to get more in return. We give because he is worthy of it all. And so we're going to worship the God who is worthy of it all. And we're going to tell God, not just with our finances, but with our life, Lord, you can have everything. You can have everything from me. So let's stand. And um, as always, there's going to be people to pray in all four corners of the room. We have the Lord's table available for anyone that would say they are a follower of Jesus. And sometimes we just need to change our posture to change our heart. But the front's open for you. But I want to encourage you, um, if God's been knocking on something, maybe it's not your money, what is not submitted yet to Jesus? And I want you to explore the idea of maybe it's time to lay that down at his feet. Let's worship him.